0: Hi, I'm Joe Lynch, director of such cinematic classics as Wrong Turn 2, Knights of Bad Everly, and of course the new film, Mayhem. And when I'm not masturbating to Sasquatch porn, I'm listening to Nightmare Junkhead. Ooh,
1: it feels so good.
0: In and out of your consciousness like a bad dream you can't wake from. This is the Nightmare Junkhead Podcast, a horror podcast that appreciates proper lipstick usage. My name is Greg D. (laughs) I'm
1: Genius McGee.
0: And on today's episode, we're breaking out the hairspray and teasing up our bangs Mm. as we delve into the mouth of March Madness and travel back 30 years to talk some of the horror classics from our 1988 bracket. But before we get into that, gang, let me remind you we're part of the phenomenally frightening Phantom Podcast Network. Phantom. And you can find all of our past episodes along with a host of other horrific horror podcasts at downrightcreepy.com... Or if you're like me and you like to listen to us on the go, simply search for Nightmare Junkhead in your iTunes or SoundCloud app, hit subscribe, and when we drop our latest episode, we'll download directly to your listening device of choice. All up in your crazy 88 hole. Indeed it is. And so from the shag carpet of the 70s, we fast forward 10 years into the mall culture of the 80s. And honestly, we've said this before when doing this tournament. The fucking golden years. This, the 80s, is an embarrassment of riches when it comes to the horror world, the horror genre. And 1988 was no different. Right. As much horror as big hair. And it was wonderful. It was all up in your face. Yes. You could not ignore it. It was everywhere. Mm -hmm. To the point that, as we talked about in our selection episode... There were just so many. This is just the toughest thing for us. Yeah, it's hard enough in the '70s, '90s, and 2000s with some mm. great horror movies. Man, in the '80s, it's just the cup not only runneth over, but it fills up other cups and it continues. Yeah, it's just like that little uh, like wonder- a champagne fountain. I was going to say chocolate fountain, but you know mm, that's just either me. way, either way. <laughs> either way, we've got a fountain of some sorts going on there, uh, <laughs> like a Gallagher show. Oh. Yeah, just. <laughs> I think we discussed actually. Uh, this will our live show will have already happened at uh, Panic Fest. So if you were there, we the, did. Sorry, the third rose
1: got wet. That's right. That's. <laughs>
0: I think we're going to approach uh, all of our live shows now as a Gallagher show <laughs> and not uh, not like Brother of Gallagher or right, anything like right. that. Like Gallagher 2 uh, on the move. <laughs> such, <a, laughs> such a bizarre circumstance there. Uh, uh, but as we said in 88, uh, if you go back to the selection episode, there was an overabundance of sequels. So yeah. in terms of the bracket itself, we decided to just kind of go top to bottom mm-hmm. and start with our sequels. Uh, and so to remind you, we are going to be showing our work here in the yes. first round. Not only are we going to be talking about our general thoughts and feelings of the films, but Mm -hmm. because we are an academic podcast here. We show our work. We do. And I'll be honest, uh, two categories that we're going to be looking at, we are going to look at which film is closer to the heart. Closer to the heart. And as long as we're doing this tournament and we are saying the phrase closer to the heart, you're damn right. We are always going to break out a Getty Lee impression. It's
1: like the Suspiria. It's It's, like it has to be said at least once at the beginning, but encouraged to
0: continue. And when you say Suspiria, "suspiria," the first time you have to say just like
1: Suspiedia.
0: Anything that is associated with Getty Lee. So again, kind of what taught what um tugs on our heartstrings, if mm-hmm. you will. What gives us the most pure nostalgia? Right. But then we're going to look at the opposite of that. And then we're going to use our head. We're going to get a little bit more logical on this. And we're going to look and say, which one was the better, the better topic?
1: Mm-hmm. The, the better, better representation of the bracket title.
0: Yes. Yes, as it mm-hmm. is. So let's go ahead and delve right into our first battle here of 1988. We're looking at part four. Oh, are we having the third category on this A tiebreaker if we need to. Uh-huh. And that is what was more important. Cultural impact in to the yeah the uh, horror genre itself and so let's go ahead let's before we even talk about our two part fours mm-hmm. I, the part four itself do you even get to a part four in a franchise yeah
1: that's that's it's, make or break actually. right yeah cause because you already proved with your trilogy what else you got
0: so what then do you do then with a part four and the part fours that we're looking at are kind of totally different in terms uh-huh. of their mission statements um we're looking at halloween four the return of michael myers mm-hmm. and a nightmare on elm street four the dream master and two totally different films in the to- two totally different franchises. Mm-hmm. But good representations of their proper franchise. These two are tough to put head to head. So let's start with Halloween 4. Mm-hmm. In terms of what it is doing, yeah, it's totally course correcting yeah. the previous installment. Exactly. It's like, in the title, The
1: Return <laughs> it's- of Michael Myers is just saying, hey... He's back.
0: We heard you the last time. Right. Apparently, witches didn't work.
1: Witches still messed up, but but whatever. I no, digress. no, that's okay. If you've ever
0: listened to our podcast, yeah. you know we are huge proponents of part three. But right. I'll even admit, you know, initially when it came out. I dismissed it. Yeah. Like, where the fuck is Michael Myers? It's ain't Halloween, you know? <laughs> because I am a fan of Halloween. The original itself, as I said, in mm-hmm. our 70, 78 episode, it is my all-time favorite horror film. Yeah. Hands down. And so I was super excited when I learned that not only were we getting another Halloween, but it was indeed with Michael Myers, mm-hmm. it was they as almost like as if the uh, the internet existed back in like the, the mid eighties, right?
1: Give us Michael.
0: We had a bunch of trolls, and it was probably actually people like mailing in at this point, like legitimate mail, probably. <laughs> so I wrote means... him
1: six times. <laughs> so what
0: is your uh, history with Halloween Four? I saw it in the theater. Okay, I was,
1: I was stoked. I was like. Because I was, I was all about ten years oldish, that was, and yep. so I was already a budding horror fanatic. And when I saw the return of Michael Myers again, Michael Myers, Halloween one and two were two. I consider him come sometimes at the same continuation of the movie because I love that shit. Mm-hmm. But again, like you said, I just missed three, so I'm like, fuck yeah, Michael Myers is back. Welcome back, Halloween. So I went to the theater to go see it with high expectations and. At the time, my expectations were sort of met. Okay, okay. You know, I enjoyed the movie, but it wasn't until like later when I could see it with proper older eyes. I appreciated it
0: more. And that's the thing with this particular film is I do think it's a great kind of a reintroduction of mm-hmm. the Halloween franchise to the 80s. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is if you go back and you look at the original Halloween, Very Little Gore. Right, right. You look at Halloween 2, they up it a little. But but it's it's, still. It's minimal at best. And obviously, Halloween 3, not, you know. Michael Myers. Michael Myers. But when you bring this back into the fold into the 80s, if you think about films of the 80s, you think of special effects. Mm-hmm. You think of the gore. Halloween? Excess effects. The yeah, excess effects. That's yeah. what It's the 80s. Come yeah, on now. They're right. you know, sprayed on like a thick old shield of hairspray there. <laughs> so but that. ultimately, what I like about Halloween 4 is it does give you a little bit more gore, a mm-hmm. little bit more meanness. Mm-hmm. But it's not, it's not over the top, though. Right. It's not like some of the films that we'll be discussing a little bit later in this episode. But it was enough to kind of almost update the Halloween franchise mm-hmm. with Michael Myers, To the 80s. Exactly. And not only in that, but with
1: the new story, but yet continuing with the others. And that's one thing we'll talk about in other brackets in Halloween. So many time shifts, and this didn't happen, and that didn't happen, and, you know... It's
0: a weirdly problematic franchise. Yes, yes. um, Which is one of the things that I think why so many people are kind of, I wouldn't say, totally divisive over the Halloween franchise. But but it's
1: hard to follow if you're not not following it,
0: you know? Mm -hmm. But
1: this one was... Really good and interesting in the fact that it still continued this story. It literally took twenty or ten years later. Like <laughs> this is it.
0: So it still paid homage to it while creating its own arc. And that's just it. You mentioned it goes in its an entirely different direction with an entirely new cast of characters. Mm-hmm. We still have the the specter, the ghost of Laurie Strode, right. We, and with the it's, whole family ties and it thing continues yes. into it yeah almost with the lineage mm-hmm. and we are introduced then to young Daniel Harris who mm-hmm. to me is the saving grace of this film?
1: She carries this film. She just delivers such a good performance for such a
0: little girl. She uh, and in fact, she had like an incredible run in the '80s uh, in terms of genre films. Um, Jamie Lloyd is, in and of itself, kind of a one of the icons of the '80s. Mm-hmm. And it's a shame too because one of the things that really frustrates me with this film is how they set up Michael Myers. They bring him back. Yeah. But then they create a great avenue to. Pass the torch yes to a female Michael Myers to little to little Jamie you know it'd be great it was wonderful mm-hmm. and then we're not going to talk about part five but they totally deviate from that and yeah we'll go into a little bit about um when we go into showing our work here on yeah. that one uh but a uh, John Carl uh mm-hmm. was brought in for the special effects in this film which are really good and in terms of the kills there's two of them that stand out there's the opening one with a little thumbs up. Oh, uh-huh. Michael Myers is apparently a big uh, hitchhiker there. But then there's another one there where Michael Myers goes straight up. Um, Patrick Swayze in Roadhouse goes straight up Dalton and he rips a guy's throat out yeah. in the truck scene there. Uh, little bits of that that just add to the brutality. Mm-hmm. But on all honesty, I think the hardest thing to recreate in any of your Halloween films and probably the biggest point of contention for most people is the mask. Yeah. And this one, it's, It's still not that great. No. They couldn't recreate what they had in the first two.
1: There's never going to be better masks than the first two. I mean, that's just how it is. However, what they did do in this one, which we'll talk about later in other sequels, and they made Michael Myers scary. Yeah. What he did and was trying to do to Jamie was... Terrifying he was a he was truly a crazed psycho stalker and that's what I liked about this It brought the fear back to Michael Myers
0: and there are some really good shots That kind of pay homage to Carpenter's original mm-hmm. just with shots of Myers or the shape if you will Yeah, just lumbering in the background uh, You get that great moment when all the Michael Myers guys start coming out and you see Lumit, You can just see him losing his shit like mm-hmm. I, whoa. This is has this happened now? Don't they know what happened to Ben Tramer? That's no. oh, poor. <laughs> Poor that the Tramer family in the city of Haddonfield, man. There is a lawsuit there, right? Just waiting to happen. That poor Ben Tramer, right? There has to be an entire like there has to be fan fiction out there of the Tramer family and how they're dealing with it. I would have loved to have seen future Halloween installments focused on the Tramer family, like
1: pulling a Jarvis, a Tommy Jarvis type thing.
0: Oh, you could have totally done that. or yeah. you could have gone that with Tommy Doyle, Little Tommy Doyle as yeah, well, which Tommy they Doyle. basically kind of did in part six.
1: Yeah, yeah, but, you know, I love Paul Rudd, but he's no Thom Matthews. You know what I'm saying?
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit tougher on that one. Uh, other thoughts on Halloween 4? I thought it was a good uh, welcome back f- to form. It really is. Mm-hmm. I do feel it establishes what makes Halloween great. Mm-hmm. Even the music itself, and that's the biggest point of contention I have with uh, Halloween H2, and we'll get to that eventually. Yeah,
1: I I got an issue. It's hard to compare, it's hard to talk about Halloween 4 without not talking about Halloween 20 we just saw, but uh, yeah, so.
0: But I think in terms of what it needed to do to reestablish the Halloween franchise Mm -hmm. in the 80s,
1: however many missed opportunities it had, it did good for what it was trying to do. I think
0: it established itself pretty well. Yeah. Uh, which leads us to our another other number four here on the list, and the Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4, mm-hmm. The Dream Master. This is almost like Ark versus Ark.
1: Right? Yeah. A rebirth of the franchise.
0: Well, it's interesting because you you look at Part 3, which was obviously our winner, yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, The Dream Warriors of our last year's Into the Mouth of March Madness tournament, a lot of people think that is the perfect Elm Street film. I, I am one of those. Right? I am one of those. So, how- however... Uh,
1: Nightmare 4, a close second.
0: This it, is a... It took everything that worked in the third one and mm-hmm. then kind of upped it. Yeah. Um. I think the one saving grace of three, not the one saving grace, but the characters in part three are what elevate part three. Yeah. I still like the characters in part four. We get the introduction of Alice. Uh-huh. But I didn't feel as connected with them. With in her fact, friends. In fact, the fact that they... The very notion that they kill off Kincaid, Joey, and Kristen so quickly right. in part four... But see, I could
1: see why they did that, and I think it was to pass the torch and to finally close that story and then start with a new story. However, like you said, the characters in part four were peeled in comparison to the characters in part three. I felt bad when Kincaid and Joey died. However, I was rooting for Freddy... When he was killing his other, except for, um, what's that one girl's name, the suck face? She, Sheila. Sheila. She was adorable well, through the whole thing, and it was just so sad to see her go.
0: It was. And then when he says, you want to suck face, when she goes, no, it's such a declare. No. No, I do You're not. Right. And it's and then when that happens, yeah. ugh, uh, the kills in this film one of the best kills holy shit. was the cockroach
1: one and when his when her arms go backwards and she then becomes the full thing it was so very cool and the things that rennie Harlan did with um time mm-hmm. with that whole like trickery Repeating. the looping thing i remember seeing the theater going wait a minute this is something's wrong and then finally they went I didn't even catch on I thought something was intent like unintentionally mm-hmm. wrong and I was like, holy shit did I Rennie Harlan you pulled the wool over my eyes you know and even to this day I still was like I just I know what's happening but I was like wait a
0: minute. Oh, yeah. Well, it's playing back into that true nightmare setting yeah. that you get. I mean, just that whole repeating. Think about like Into the uh, into the Mouth of Madness when they just keep repeating, trying to get out of yeah. Bob Ends there. Uh, but also the effects work in this one, I think, is what elevates this this particular uh, entry mm-hmm. in the franchise because you've got screaming mad george Yeah, uh, beakler showed up on this one as well he had a hell of a year yeah. in uh, 1988 uh it's also included uh, steve johnson mm-hmm. showing up as well the big freddy souls with yeah. the chest even that freddy tunnel of souls
1: you know in their the the um the meatballs <laughs> on the Ricky pizza. Little meatballs, Right? There were so many good things and good ideas going into in this movie.
0: And that's what's funny when you compare these two films is they're definitely different just in terms of tone. Because I think any of the Nightmare on Elm Street films, because it does have a little bit of a fantasy element to it, mm-hmm. to the horror, yeah. it does make it more fun. Yeah. And therefore, it's one that I can kind of watch whenever I'm in the mood. Now, Halloween Four, on the other hand, I think it does rank rack up the uh, the tension and suspense a little bit more. Uh-huh. So it's not as fun,
1: right? But but it is a good movie still. Of so course, I of mean, course. I mean, I mean, it's on the bracket for a reason. But I mean, it's still a good movie enough to watch and warrant the not to say warrant the title of Halloween Four, but it warrants the title of Halloween Four.
0: It holds the mantle up well. So that brings us to the fact that if you were going to pit these two against each other. Mm-hmm. You know who's going to move forward. So let's go ahead. Let's break out the uh, our chalk and the chalkboard and show our work here. So, which one of these two geniuses is closer to your heart? Which one gives you the most nostalgia?
1: I remember seeing both of these movies in the movie theater. So this one was a little bit difficult, but I remember having a better time with Nightmare Three or Nightmare Four. Nightmare Nightmare Four. Okay. I was more excited for this. I think my had both anticipations were really high for both these movies when they first came out. I was more satisfied with Nightmare Four that than makes in sense. Halloween Four, so I got to go with them. But in retrospect, they're both. And but I gotta say, I, lo- I love Halloween Four or uh, Nightmare Four because it is so much more fun.
0: It is. It truly is. Well, for me, um, again, going back to the fact that Halloween is my most, it's my all-time favorite horror film, when looking at this, um, the anticipation on both of them, for me, uh, it was, I've got to go with Halloween just because I was looking forward to it more. Mm-hmm. Again, the return to form, a return to the shape, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's a bad one there. We'll have to cut I that dug, one out. No, I dug
1: it. I dug it. Keep it. Keep it. Keep it.
0: Uh, but for me, yeah, I've got to go with Halloween on that one just because that was the one I was looking most forward to. I was enjoying the Nightmare series, but this one was that chance to get back to Michael, to get back to what made Halloween truly scary. So right. for me, the nostalgia goes straight for Halloween 4. So that okay. being said... Mm-hmm the bracket topic on this one with both of our sequels uh, brackets here is help or hinder uh uh-huh. which one in your opinion and again thinking logically here which one of the 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 part 4s do you think helped the franchise more so this is a little bit tougher because like i said ultimately one Completely course corrected. The other one kind of just upped up what worked in the original, in the yeah, previous and, one. And they both continued the new arc. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing too is both of them are technically parts of a trilogy. Yeah. Dream, you got Dream Child, Dream Master, Dream Warriors, mm-hmm. and then you've got the Jamie Lloyd trilogy that uh-huh. goes four, five, and six. This was. <sighs> See that's a and I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll I'll give you my answer while you're thinking about this one. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it did Nightmare on Elm Street Part Four didn't bring anything different, right. To the franchise, they said this what's worked in three, let's up the ante, let's just add to it, crank it to eleven. Awesome, yeah, works well for me. But Halloween Four again, you you're basically riding or dying on this particular film, and again, you know how do we bring Michael Myers back to the to the main audience? And I think that did help it now ultimately in terms of what they did with the remainder of the films,
1: that's that's where i'm having my issues with because halloween four did course correct it and did up it Mm -hmm. but just after that
0: so for me though that did help the franchise which made it produce jesus how many more sequels now right so if that one wasn't successful if that one had hindered the franchise more i don't think we would have gotten all the other halloween films so for me Halloween 4 helped the franchise more than Nightmare on Elm Street 4 did. So my vote is Halloween. So w-
1: while the while the 4 did help Nightmare and 4, I think it brought that new arc. And while 4 for Nightmare wasn't make or break, it was for Halloween. Mm-hmm. So for that being said, and for that reason only, I'm going to have to go
0: with Halloween. Okay, so final tally then just in terms of looking at part 4s here we've got 3 votes for halloween and 1 for nightmare on elm street yeah. part 4 so they, they would have made they
1: would have made a they would have made a 5 no matter how bad freddy would have done but if and Mike... also
0: this is the point i think with nightmare on elm street part 4 is you start to get to the the diminishing returns <laughs> both yeah both more so with halloween though
1: see that's why i was like Ugh. where do you? if we were going to go with impact i would have gone with nightmare because it continued 5 was good 6 was okay so, mm-hmm. but then after it's just oof it just got real bad real quick for halloween you know
0: so interestingly enough and i don't know i don't think this is a big upset by any mean but it we, was an upset to me
1: i it? had halloween i had nightmare going on
0: and it's interestingly enough i think i did as well in my original uh, bracket when i was just kind of going oh i like this one i like this one and that's right. what the best part is when we start talking about these and again breaking everything down in a certain way so uh the shape has stabbed Freddy Krueger and is moving forward to the round of the Scream 16. So congratulations, Halloween 4. Mm -hmm. So let's take us then to our next round of sequels. And from part fours, we're going part twos. We go part twos, which, again, it's an entirely different responsibility in a franchise.
1: This is this is literally... We talked about the new make or break, but
0: number two is definitely make or break, because if your sequel's shit... Oh, man. Because, obviously, something worked, where they yeah. wanted a part two. Right. So, what do you do? Do you expand? Do you give them more? Do you go within? Mm-hmm. And, interestingly enough, the oh, two films quit. on here... Go, kind of go both ways. Uh, we've got Hellraiser 2, uh-huh. or I should say Hellbound, Hellraiser yeah. <laughs> 2, and Phantasm 2. Mm-hmm. So let's go ahead. Let's start with Hellraiser 2. What were? You, what was your initial kind of, uh, what puzzle box did you open to get into Hellraiser 2?
1: When I first saw Hellraiser 2, I had no fucking clue what was going on. I mean, like none whatsoever. I remember still being confused with part one, <laughs> but digging in enough to see what they did with part two, but being so fucking lost. And it wasn't until I was older and I saw it on on TV, not cable, regular TV,
0: that I was like, this is a pretty good movie. So, you, oh man, so you didn't, so it was edited then at that point? Mm-hmm. I would assume. what did it run for like an hour? Something like that. It was That's on insane.
1: Cha- Channel 62. Oh, okay. So yeah. we're getting nice and regional uh-huh, here. Right? Was it a Saturday afternoon? Yes, it was. So they could get away with weird shit like that. And it was heavily chopped. But then I went out to go see it unedited. And like, this movie is has got a lot of shit to say. I dug it a lot.
0: Truly, it's one of those that I remember seeing in Fangoria, and it was the red of Julia, just d- like, oh, Julia two as yeah. it were. And then the introduction of the Doctor, mm-hmm. the introduction. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> it was that it a point of contention? Yeah, I want to talk
1: about the special effects a little bit on this. One.
0: Oh Jesus Christ!
1: They knocked it out of the park with Again. a lot of them but they fucked up on a few.
0: Are you talking about any of the stop motion?
1: I'm, I'm the, or... stop, the stop motion didn't work for me, okay. nor did some of the like... Now, normally I like stop motion, but it just seems so jarring out of the place, especially when the doctor was flying around with Wait, that it's... contraption on his head. If they would have made him a little bit more different with and made it more practical, I think this movie would be in the pantheon of special effects, because there was a lot of cool things going on with this. Um, the whole Julia Back thing, nothing is cool, as when Frank in the first one was coming out of the board. Nothing that cool, but it was jarring enough when she came out of the bed and grabbed grabs him, that guy. And she's just there, that skinless face going, Yeah, come to mama. You know, like literally come to mama and come to daddy. And so, like, and so there was some really cool shit going on. I thought bringing more character with this uh, with the Cenobites was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, Establishing
0: adding, a backstory for Yeah, him,
1: and continuing the story. I thought this movie was. Way better seeing it now, yeah. than I did back then. This Re- was a pleasant surprise.
0: This one was a good rewatch. Um, and it, what struck me though was the relationship of Doctor Chenard and this. The idea that this guy, that there's all these people out there that are seeking this. You know, yeah. he's almost like a fanboy of the Cenobites. You know, when you go to his 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 uh, office and he's got all the the replicants, he's got. But could these... he not be more British?
1: I mean, could he not very... be? Well then, I do believe, Julia. We're going to here's another suitor for you to play, and he's like, I just want to watch, you know. Just he was super British. It um, added
0: an <laughs> air of elegance to me when I watched, especially the first time. I'm like, Oh, is this guy supposed to be the good guy? Because he's got a British accent. He's smart. He's a doctor. Oh God, he's doing some gnarly shit here. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. And then when he becomes a Cenobite him of himself, and the fact that they actually decimates all the other Cenobites.
1: Yeah, he fucks them
0: up. I kind of liked that, just because mm-hmm. then they're not necessarily the centerpiece of the film, and I think that's the, the strongest point of the first two films is that technically still the Cenobites aren't the main thing no
1: and he even they show up about 10 20 minutes in and they're like go on explore have fun see well welcome to hell and I like that. You know, everybody's like, "Oh, Hellraiser is just the dude in a box." It ain't the, it ain't Pinhead with the box. He's so ancillary. You know, I really dug what the franchise did with these first two films.
0: With them, yeah, and then when you get to see like Legion, yeah, that is such a weird concept and design that I when I remember the first time I saw it, I didn't understand what that was. I just Mm -hmm. thought it was some big crystal. In the middle that was a right, minute almost too. like a dark crystal, if you will, <laughs> which I mean, I was like, Oh no, oh no, mm-hmm. not yeah, goddamn geflings and the <laughs> sketchies and every and all that, just but that's what it but that's not a bad thing, just in terms of kind of a reference and what I immediately thought of, yeah. And then again, when I see it again this time, I understand no, it's a little bit more than that, it, it can be whatever it is because as um, we are many, yes, and he's got his he's in his own when he talks, of, when he's talking about Kirsten's dad or uh, Christy's dad, and he's like, He's, he's in, in, his in his own, own hell.
1: hell, yeah, Ugh. yeah. I love I when the doctor emerged from the Cenobite Maker, and he goes, I don't even know why I hesitated. Right. And I was like, holy shit, you know? I was like, hey, wow, okay. Pain and pleasure indivisible. And then Frank coming back. Uh, this movie was such a good rewatch.
0: And I like the fact that they kind of expanded the mythology but they did it by going within.
1: Right. I dug that too. And while I beef about the special effects when it comes to the CGI, the really early mm-hmm. cartoony CGI, and then the stop motion, it didn't work for me. But what really worked for me was not only the practical effects, but the matte painting scenery.
0: Yes. That was so it's a lost fucking art. cool. You don't do that anymore. Now, With the advent of CGI.
1: You it don't... was gorgeous. And it was so immersive. And it
0: was so well done it's a shame we don't see that anymore yeah because uh, i know it's it's time intensive but man it's so worth it yes
1: it is because yes, it, is. it
0: adds so much depth scope and when you see the entirety that mm-hmm. is hell oh my god yeah. it's it's legitimately scary yeah like that when i see shit like that i'm like no i i, oh, I need to start you know reforming my life for yes. seen, uh, santos and I've <laughs> the the catholic upbringing comes back in there right so. <laughs> uh, final thoughts on Hellraiser 2 Dug it Dug it I Dug did it. as well So Dug it's it. going to be a tough one Because it brings us This is interesting enough Because Hellra- Hellraiser 2 We talked about the original The original one made it to All the way uh, Not the, all
1: the way But it was, was one of the final reps yeah. Of our
0: 1987 bracket It was close. So a year later We've got a sequel mm-hmm. Well our part 2 of Phantasm the, This one was 10 years in the making yeah. As well And I, we're huge fans of Phantasm. That I dug it, yeah. And I still dig Phantasm 2. That being said. Interesting, because I know you rewatched this recently. Let me hear what you thought on Phantasm 2. It was still confusing. It was
1: still confusing. I mean, like, just when I think I got the whole timeline and everything going on, I re-go back and watch, and I'm like, I am not even close, you know? They did a lot of really cool things. It's still my favorite Phantasm. Oh, really? Yeah. Even above the original? Even above the original. I don't know why. I don't know what it is. I think because I saw this one first before Phantasm Oh, you did? Yeah. Really? Yeah. So it's got a real near and dear place to my heart in the Phantasm Mm -hmm. world. But uh, I was still confused. I was more enamored about what they did as opposed to what they were trying to do.
0: Interesting. Yeah. And well I in terms of the confusion I can understand that because to me, Phantasm two is to aliens as to the original alien, just mm-hmm. in terms of upping the ante, making it more action oriented. Yeah. Still has the horror elements completely and totally. But the other thing that I that was definitely kind of off putting initially was the mis, uh, the recasting of Mike. Yeah. That one was a little weird for me. A little jarring, too. It is, especially when you're, when everyone else, basically, is back from the mm-hmm. original that survived, so yeah. to speak, including Angus Scrim. Boy! And I do think, ultimately, when you look at the kind of uh, Hellraiser and Phantasm versus the icons, the Cenobites, they're immortal. They will always be here. But as will the Tall Man. Yeah. The Tall Man is such a peculiar Uh, Just a horror icon and his balls and his balls. yes the balls are back yeah and if you if you're gonna have a phantasm film you've got to up the ante you Mm -hmm. know with the sequel and how are you gonna up it more balls more balls damn right (laughs) but no i do think that they up that and not only do they up it but they up the kills with the balls they up what they can do kills that was
1: and there was some really good special effects when the tall man bursts out of um The, the spine yeah and like you play a good game boy
0: you know just even like that i thought it was like a, like that is super fucking cool well again we've got uh they've got mark shustrom who mm-hmm. did the effects work for phantasm 2 who is another heavy hitter of special effects in the 80s but he also had uh nicotero working for him yeah. as well as i believe either Berger or kurtzman so they had like two of the k and the, the k or the n it, or the b the B's. n or the b exactly yeah. so you had some amazing people working on it um the fact that the balls did more things, they mm-hmm. chopped ears off. Yeah. Um, the fact that you've got more of a psychic connection now, and the fact that they do take this on the road. And yeah. you see, its the tall man is everywhere. He's decim- All over, just as
1: decimating. And
0: it almost looks looks like a, I forget which town the, the monorail didn't do well in. But oh, when they're going to North
1: from- Ogdenville? Yes. <laughs> or should- Wait, North Haberbrook, Ogdenville? Well, you know, the tall man really put those on the map.
0: When they go through those deserted, desolate towns, I mean, it is—I dare say—cartoony because I mean, cars are flipped over. There's tumbleweeds <laughs> and like fucking everything's boarded up. And... But he does mention like this can happen in small enough towns yeah. in the U.S. that this this can happen. Like mm-hmm. that's what he would seek out because they can disappear and no one would no, be we'll noticed. Know. Yeah. So he's just adding to his little dwarf army, which they're a little bit more pronounced in this film as well. They're a
1: lot more pronounced. I mean, they drove cars in the first one, but they w- did demolition derby shit. And then they introduced the diggers. Is yes. that what they're? Yeah.
0: More pe- they just add to the mythology, yeah. but- which does make it a little bit more confusing because then they still don't know who the tall man is.
1: Mm-hmm. Is he an alien? Is he from is- another dimension? Is he from hell? Mm-hmm. Is he from And they never. Exp- spoilers. For the Phantasm series they never do
0: and these are two franchises as well that went well beyond their part twos so the mm-hmm. part twos worked well enough for them but there was a really funny thing I just I got a very Raimi-esque feeling with some of the the camera work the shots and do, do you remember when they were um cremating one of the bodies do you remember do you remember the name on the bag Mm-mm. Sam Raimi so <laughs> he course. literally name drops Sam Raimi in, within the film itself which I loved I was like okay Thank you, Don Coscarelli. Mm-hmm. And it's truly a Coscarelli film. Yeah, it's, but oh, it's yeah. given more budget, which I think he put to good use. More Coscarelli, <laughs> more
1: Reggie. Yeah, more, more ice cream. More. I'm your ice cream man. I'm waiting for him. It may, it would be the perfect because he plays the guitar. If he comes out, I'm your ice cream man. Stop me when I'm passing by. See all those silver balls are guaranteed to slaughter fine.
0: Never you know, <laughs> just like
1: take a boy boy you know just like
0: <laughs> well and he's such an unlikely leading man yeah in any kind of franchise much less horror a
1: balding ponytailed ice cream truck still
0: rocking the hair all mm-hmm. the way down to the end so let's go ahead show our work let's pit hellraiser 2 against phantasm 2 so mm-hmm. genius Of the two, which one is closer to your heart?
1: Hmm, I saw I saw Hellraiser one in the theater, so I saw Hellraiser two. Go back and
0: listen to your initial experience of watching the first Hellraiser because that's that was that was
1: that was yeah that was rough. Um, so daring myself and going back to Hellraiser two was a very interesting challenge. Phantasm two, I reversed engineered, but like I think. I think I'm going to have to say, even though Phantasm 2 I really is my favorite Phantasm mm-hmm. of the thing, I think I have a better th- experience with Hellraiser 2 okay. because of digging it in the theater, but not quite getting it, revisiting it, and realizing that on Channel 62, even with all out, a lot of the gore and everything, this was still a cool movie. They had sites to show you. It did, and so I'm going to have to go with Hellraiser
0: 2. No, that makes sense. Um, again, you've defended it really well. Uh, both films are very important to me. Both franchises are important to me. I didn't see either in the theater, mm-hmm. so that definitely goes into account on my decision. But pouring through the fa- the pages of Fangoria, uh, for me, just seeing the bright red of Hellraiser, and again, I remember when Phantasm Two was featured in it as well, and yeah. that's actually, I believe, where you saw initially that spine creature. Yeah. I mean, but it reminded me too much of like a Freddy gag. It did look like Freddy, didn't it? Yeah, which. That kind of took me, not, did not take me out of it. No, but, but at I, the
1: same time, it's like, oh, that's
0: looks, I don't want to see Freddy-ish. the tall man become, become Freddie right. because he is his own distinct person. And he needs to stay his own distinct person. And so when you start kind of crossing those worlds, I think it can muddy up. So for me as well, because of the Fangoria, the love of that, and again, seeing it, it going to like B. Dalton Bookseller at like mm-hmm. Oak Park Mall or Metcalf South, I definitely got to go with Hellraiser on that one as well for the heart. Now, in terms of the the bracket buster here... yeah. Help or hinder, which one of these two films as a part two Mm -hmm. helped the franchise more? Hellraiser 2. Okay. Because Phantasm
1: 2, while it brought more things to it, I think it muddied the water. I think because then after going so weird, you have to just keep going weirder and weirder and crazier and batshit Which they did. Which they do. And it just made things more convoluted. Okay. It didn't make... You can drop in and out of Hellraiser 2. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. The whole Hellraiser franchise, you're like, okay, it's a guy. It's a chick with a puzzle box, blah, blah, blah. Try and follow along, jumping in and out of the Phantasm series. You have to see each one to get it. You almost need a map yeah, to follow. So for that thing, I think Phantasm 2, while it helped Phantasm as a franchise, as, as it helped Part 1 mm-hmm. establish itself as being awesome with a great Part 2. In the long run, it hindered the rest of the franchise.
0: I like that. Okay. No, that works. And I'm kind of the opposite of it because I think, and I I go back to how they expanded the universe. One Mm -hmm. went within, one expanded out. And for me, if you expand out, you're not limiting yourself. You're actually opening up to to more opportunities experiences, whether you're then going and road tripping, uh, what have you. With Mm -hmm. Hellraiser 2, again, it's setting very, almost like bottle episodes if you will just very right. enclosed and so for me the fact that you can expand out for me that helped the franchise a little bit more fam- with Phantasm yeah. so for me I'm going Phantasm but looking at the numbers here we do have such shites to show you because we've got Hellraiser with three votes with Phantasm 2 with just one yeah I think there's less diminishing returns with
1: the Hellraiser series than with the Phantasm
0: series and that makes sense ultimately when it comes down to it so joining Halloween 4 and the round of the Scream 16. Oh my God, the uh, Cenobites are coming for you guys. Right? Hellraiser 2 makes it forward. So, finally escaping the world of sequels <laughs> and going to some original franchises mm-hmm. here. Uh, we're going down the list here. Now, I will say this these two films that we're going to talk about next, They Live and Maniac Cop, I'm not going to say they're not horror because they, st- they straight are. Yeah. But I think of all the films in this bracket, they're the ones that are more horror light. Because yeah. I think they're uh, adding elements, other elements, into the horror field.
1: I will agree with They Live. I will disagree with Maniac Cop because As- Maniac Cop is brutal enough to be a horror. I,
0: okay, so let's, we'll like start with Maniac Cop. Let's start uh-huh. with Maniac Cop because I, when I rewatched it, I'd forgotten how much almost of a procedural yeah.
1: it was. I forgot how much fun this movie was. This movie is a blast. It's got everything that I want. It's Dirty New York. Oh,
0: it's well, it's Willem Lustig. So yeah. you, of course you're going to get the and Larry dirty... and Larry Cohen produced. He wrote it as well. Mm-hmm. And I think they were technically they were looking to kind of do an extension of Maniac mm-hmm. and keep that within that same universe. But this all it falls in the great noun cop genre, where you just take any noun. Bad cop, and you've got a movie. We did a whole episode on that, and actually, that's one of my favorites. It episodes. is. Well, you've got there's samurai cop, mm-hmm. there's karate cop, there's, there's
1: Hollywood cop, there's um, cop and a half, Coca-Cola and Hot. kindergarten cop, and Cosby cop. And yeah, well, that
0: was yeah. That's I think that was actually the sequel to Leonard Part Six. That letter, like yeah, we can't do part that. Part Seven. Well, you got uh, the right to remain uh, doubly bip Exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Maniac Cop. I. It's got Tom Atkins. The yes. cast itself.
1: Spoilers though, Tom Atkins. God damn it.
0: Yeah. God damn it. Not long for this one, unfortunately. Right. And Bruce Campbell kind of playing against type. Yeah. He's not. He's he's not bumbling. No. And he's not. He's 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 a human being with flaws and what yeah. have you. Um. You also have Richard Roundtree showing up in this one. Mayor. Sha- no. Commissioner Shaft, which is wonderful, and of course the late great Robert Zadar mm-hmm. as Matt Cordell, nice. mm-hmm. which I like. The Mount Rushmore of 80s horror icons. Yeah. We've got Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees, Mm -hmm. Freddy Krueger, and probably Leatherface. Yeah. Then below that, I think we've got a lot of representatives from this bracket. Uh The Tall Man, The Cenobites, Matt Cordell, The Maniac Cop. Mm -hmm. This movie actually also... Spawned a franchise. Three films. Yeah. Two of them really strong. Yeah. Less said about the third one the best, but that's just my opinion on that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I,
1: I, I forgot how good this movie was. Maniac Cop? Because you, you think like, oh, Maniac Cop. Durf, durf, durf. But, uh, I mean, with the, if, if you're not the horror fan. They play it straight. Right. If you're not the horror fan, you think Maniac Cop. You think it's going to be your typical slasher. There's a cop going around fucking killing everybody. But you said they played it straight. And Matt Cordell, he's not just... He's not just Officer Voorhees, he's got a whole crazy vengeance arc to him.
0: And that's what's great about the film, especially when you get into the, the sequel, is you would realize there's a lot of pathos with that character, just yeah, in absolutely. terms of what he went through. And yeah. he's kind of like this, um, just the spirit of revenge and vengeance mm-hmm. against this corrupt police system. And that's the other thing, just in terms of uh, relevance, this is a
1: so crazy because you have people talking about like you know I don't want to go near a cop because they'll fucking kill me and then other people are like you gotta respect the badge and stuff and it's like where have I heard this mm-hmm. argument before
0: hmm. tapping into yeah. some seriously socially mm-hmm. relevant material yeah. that's more relevant in 2018 than it was 30 years ago
1: shit instead of fuck the police this bracket should be
0: relevant today yeah no shit you're not kidding <laughs> so no I'm, I'm a big fan of it uh, and what I like about the original maniac cop especially with Cordell as the character mm-hmm. is in part two, he became more of a zombie. Right, and this one he just has a few slashes on the face. You actually get more of the Zadar. Yeah, he was, which still I appreciate. Technically, still alive. Yeah. I mean a little bit more
1: because I shot him six times. But at the same time, you know, he never really died.
0: And then the other the other thing that I love about this film is the stunt work. Yes, when he hit that dude with the car, Jesus. There are multiple times in this film that I just was oh, shit. Especially that last bit when they're driving off the pier. Yes. That stuntman nearly gets crushed. Yeah. It's coming off that car there.
1: And whoever Tom Atkins' stuntman was, his death was
0: glorious. Wonderful. Yes. When that's the beauty of this film is the original is a little bit more subtle and subdued than the sequel because the mm-hmm. sequel goes balls out. Yeah. And this is the... Se- sequel is Officer Voorhees. Yes, it is. Yeah. it actually has the Maniac Cop rap. <laughs> the only thing that's probably hurting this film more than anything. Uh, but yeah, final co- thoughts on Maniac Cop.
1: I was. This was another surprise how good this really was. Because I haven't seen the original. I, we saw Maniac Cop 2 maybe about two years ago. You hosted not even, the screening of it. Yeah, not even that. But it's been a while since I've seen the original. And th- this was <laughs> What should have been an easy bracket to me at the beginning is going to be a it's lot harder. It's muddied up harder. a little bit more. Yeah, a lot harder.
0: Strength is to the power of the film itself. So it is going up against a film that we have on multiple occasions hosted screenings here yeah. in Kansas City. Uh, we get another another little taste of John Carpenter hey, in the like, tournament.
1: And you guys don't be biased, okay? You know
0: we're not exactly. We're not going to be tough.
1: We're not trying.
0: We're not going to be biased. We're all. We We're, we're going we're gonna to show our work. Yo, indeed, indeed. But for me, they lived. This, this is. is <sighs> I saw this in the theater. Yeah. This is one my folks took me to. Strangely enough. <laughs> which because i no they took me to see like rambo first blood part 2 just random movies that i probably shouldn't have been seeing but this is a film also that you want to talk about plays more relevant in 2018 than it mm-hmm. did in 1988 another one
1: yeah
0: where you've <laughs> things that you're supposed to trust you know entities that are supposed to take care of you mm-hmm. when you find out and you look deeper that they're actually rooting against you they have a uh, rooted interest that if you fuck up It's more power to them. That's frightening.
1: They really just want your money and work. Just consume. consume. This is your God.
0: Mm -hmm. Where where have we heard this thing Indeed, indeed. Mm. Well, this to me is Carpenter going back to his indie roots Mm -hmm. and being just, and we talked about it with Prince of Darkness last year in the tournament, but this is like punk rock Carpenter. (laughs) This is a literal middle finger. Yeah. To those in power and those abusing power, mm-hmm. and I don't. I, this is there's a reason that people still flock to this film because not only is it socially relevant, but when you add Roddy Roddy Piper to the mix, yeah, and, and 15 minutes of Keith David eating that trash can, <laughs> it tells you exactly what kind of film it is. It's a socially relevant, socially conscious film that is tongue enough in cheek yeah. to give you this seven minute drawn out read ridiculously awesome fight scene. Mm-hmm. Just the you dirty motherfucker. Right. The nut shots, the suplexing, and this movie is so quotable too. Jesus. I bet if
1: you say, if, but if you say, I have come to kick ass and chew bubble gum. I bet nine out of ten people in the room. We'll know exactly what to say. And I'm of bubble gum. Exactly. This
0: is a film that's kind of in the popular... Con- it, like Think of like Duke Nukem. Mm-hmm. Think about the, almost dare I say, the reattitude of Ash in Army of Darkness. You know, I think you get South a lot Park. of that. So oh, yeah, I South mean, Park actually shot did... Shot
1: for shot remake of the fight
0: scene. And I remember the first time I saw that, I'm like... This is, I had that deja vu feeling, mm-hmm. and I was like, holy shit, they're doing the fight scene from They Live. Yeah. They're doing a fight scene from a John Carpenter film that's not Halloween, you know, that's not one of his major hits, mm-hmm. but yet this is a film that keeps playing, that keeps coming back, and again, it is the idea of our government not being who they think we are, or right. anyone in power. Yeah. That's central conceit in terms of when you put those glasses on and you see the world as you it see is. see the real
1: world. Oh. And then you had to decide whether you're going to stick around and fight him or if you're going you to join up. I didn't know you guys liked the good life. Damn it, Buck Flower. You know, we right? had such high hopes for right? him, the character. I don't blame him for going from boxcar hobo to like t- suit and tie. Good for Buck. Yeah, he's selling out his soul to a corporate evil alien, but at the same time, aren't we kind of all in the, on the in the
0: in the long run we are? And also, let's face it, it's nice to see Buckflower in a
1: tuxedo and not like some fucking dirty ass thing he found in the bottom of a trash can. He cleans can. up nicely. Yeah, he does. Yeah, yes, it's... Reginald Buckflowers, Esquire.
0: Um, you guys want some tea? Uh, Peter Jason showing up a Carpenter regular Mm -hmm. Um, and also just in terms of you wouldn't talk about like Daniel Harris making or breaking Halloween 4 I think Piper could have made her break this because imagine they live with like Russell in uh, the nada role
1: right I wouldn't I don't think it would have worked as well.
0: It wouldn't I don't think it'd have the same camp feel. Right. Because there are elements of camp in this. And even like Meg Foster showing up with those evil lit eyes. <laughs> <laughs> the the the, the uh, inevitable betrayal that happens. Uh <laughs> I think the thing that stuck with me most when I saw it originally was it was more of played like an action horror film, kinda like Maniac Cop. Yeah. But that end scene, when you get your first bit of nudity, which is so jarring and funny, and then just that, what's wrong, baby? I know. (laughs) And then it cuts to the the theme, and then it cuts to credits. You're like... It was funny. It, this movie was intentionally funny. People
1: forget John Carpenter could be super fucking funny. I mean, look at like uh, Big Trouble. Oh, Jesus! I mean, just having him fall down that long and like just shake it off like a cartoon. You know, the fight scene, the whole like this is your guy. It was a funny film.
0: After they, after uh, I wouldn't say a comedy. Keith but... David and Piper fight, and they're in that hotel room afterwards. Like Ain't Ain't love, love, love grand. grand. <laughs> yeah, and they're both just almost as if they had just undergone like a you know love making session if you will being intimate with which they were technically in terms mm-hmm. of put on the glasses just put them on and god love frank i believe that was uh keep uh, david's name in that one he just stuck to his guns mm-hmm. like i'm not putting these glasses on i'm gonna you know take a, a soup a suplex they i'm trying to think of what other like wrestling moves were actually in that fight scene but it was unbelievable it was unbelievable a couple of spears uh, and then tubes, actually at the tosses. end once all the aliens are revealed you've got that one Movie critic uh, bashing Carpenter, Carpenter. And Romero, <laughs> yeah. Which and, that was another thing that I just ah oh, I loved seeing. And you, formaldehyde face,
1: <laughs> love
0: it, love it, love it. When the heel can be the hero, so good. And if it wasn't for Piper's wrestling background, I don't think we'd have the film we have. Right. So like I said, so if like Russell came into the the picture on this one, it would be a totally different film. It would be one I'd still probably enjoy because it's Carpenter and Russell, but this gave us kind of a new feel for Carpenter. Mm -hmm. So speaking of feels here, let's make sure, let's go ahead and start showing our work, because our bracket topic on this one is against authority. Which of these two films is like more against authority? So we're gonna start though by seeing which one is closer to the heart. Closer to the heart! Yeah. <laughs> Genius. Closer to the heart. They live or Maniac Cop? Honestly, they live. They live is to me is
1: one of my favorites. Um I have to go with They Live, because I I would be if I said to me, if I said in my mind that Mania and Copa better than they live, I'd be a damn liar. However, I this was a close call. This was way closer than I expected. Than you expected? Yeah, way We closer. talked
0: about beforehand there were some kind of no-brainers. Right. And But ultimately, when you rewatch—and that's the beauty of this exactly. whole thing. Exactly. Rewatching these films, yeah. especially some of them we're so familiar with. Like, all of the films in these brackets, I've seen at least, at least ten times each. Yeah. Easy. Oh, yeah. Versus any of the other ones. And so they're definitely, they have a place in my heart, mm-hmm. but when you see them again, when you see them with new eyes, yeah. it really From makes a, a difference. From a critical
1: point of view too, And you again, know? thinking
0: about how we actually gauge these two films, now, again, for me also, I'm going to say, because I saw this one in the theater, it's JC, he's one of my favorite filmmakers, right. it is closer to my heart, they live definitely, but again, man, if we were talking about sequels or anything, you know, if you had Maniac Cop 2 in here, I think it would definitely make a difference, but which one of these films to you is more against authority?
1: Um, I think they live because they live as a big fuck you to authority and while Maniac Cop he's bucking the system just for his own personal vengeance. Yeah.
0: I think uh, Maniac Cop gives you a more micro sense of authority Mm -hmm. and they live as a more macro you know more top down if you will Mm -hmm. and you know a much I guess in this case then it's a clean sweep so yeah. uh Nada's given a middle finger to Matt Cordell and they live Moves making on. their way to the Scream 16 which is exciting they live to the next round they do oh there's there's your pun for the for the <laughs> round there and so our last bracket and our last matchup is a tough one and These two films I love for for almost the exact same reasons and different reasons, Uh, but our bracket topic this time is gooey and gory. And let's face it, we are in the 80s, this is, the, as you said, the excess of special effects and we've got two films here that are fantastic for that. Yes. Night of the Demons and The
1: Blob. Yes. Two totally different movies, two totally different tones, two totally different everything. But they both brought it in the effects department. So which one do
0: we start with? Um, let's go with The Blob. The th- Nothing moves the blob. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, I nice. think what's unfortunate with The Blob is if you think about the great remakes in the 80s, mm-hmm. there's two that people go to immediately. Mm-hmm. John Carpenter's the thing. Lament J.C. again. Right. And Cronenberg's the fly. Yeah. But unfortunately, I think the blob really gets lost in that shuffle. It
1: is a very not only capable remake but a good horror movie on its own. on its own
0: even if it wasn't a remake of the right. blob it's no and this is actually another representation of chuck russell mm-hmm. who directed nightmare on elm street part 3 so even though freddy didn't advance he still has his uh, russell claws could potentially in, his, right? in here no yeah the blob was one of those films that first and foremost i think before we even get into the special effects something that we have to talk about is the mere presence of kevin dillon's mullet in this film <laughs> that thing I thought it was The Blob at one point. I thought it was like, oh, it's like wow. It's,
1: He's got big hair.
0: It is unreal. It's like, bigger than Shawnee Smith's. Right? <laughs> and her bangs are way up there in this one. No, that thing deserves its own SAG car. It's so magnificent. Yeah, it's, it's pretty luxurious. Dare I say distracting. Uh, but it's one of those films that definitely makes it a film from 1988. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, this is one of those films that it's mean. First and foremost, this is a movie where The Blob, if you die from The Blob, it's not pleasant. And no. The, and the it's... fact that they show
1: it a few times that you are being <laughs> melted away or sucked into drains or um, just getting cut up with glass and just destroyed by a phone booth. Oh, just...
0: that's. Shout out to Tony Gardner and his effects work in here. I think the blob might be one of the best representations of special effects from the 80s in terms of practical. Crazy! How are they doing that? I
1: will. I will. Agree. I mean, you know. I will agree with you on that one because the scene where one where he's being just like you see him being dissolved in the blob, and then one once again when you say mean the blob fucking eats kids. When the kid jumps up and he's like help like that, but oh. he's already like half his face is Melting. eaten away, and his it's just I was like holy shit, that's gross. It was it was gross, and like when Crazy Ralph gets his uh. No, no, the boxcar, oh, the, yeah. the pee-wee boxcar hobo, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Flash <laughs> you That one. When he gets when he gets it on the Oh, oh it's Nar. He is just he's just he's dissolved. Yeah. And the, <laughs> another shout out here in terms of the cast, uh, Paul McRain shows up in the blob uh, a year earlier in a film called Robocop. I don't know if you guys have ever seen right. that one. <laughs> it's in its Contract. he meets a grisly nasty end in Robocop and his death in here yeah. I think ups the sheriff death from uh, Friday the 13th part six when he gets snapped in half when he gets snapped in half and goes through that little tubing
1: yeah oh Oof. my
0: Paul McRae, he has it in his contract to he's die gotta horribly die,
1: he's got to die gnarly Emil Emil's got to go <laughs> Emil's got to go
0: Rocket Romano you don't stand a chance there <laughs> Shawnee Smith though showing up in this film she she's adorable
1: she is great
0: genre uh, great yeah uh, from Becker,
1: uh, if you don't know who talked about Shawnee Smith, she was in Becker, and she was Amanda She's in, in the Saw system, the
0: Saw franchise, and we'll be talking about them in the in, the, in this, in this the particular, particular bracket. bracket. So, yeah. I know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what's interesting is this is a remake, and if you look back at the Blob, the original Blob, it's it's a very campy film. Yeah. Well, so, it's the fifties. It's super camp. It may it was made to be camp, and so when you when you're remaking something so campy, I think maybe they uh, they purposely made it that mean mm-hmm. to try to almost like separate itself divorce itself from the original just like you know this isn't this isn't your grandfather's, <laughs> your grandfather's blob Bob. but it was
1: still fun oh yeah it was still fun as shit i mean even as mean and nasty and gnarly i had a great time watching it
0: and i think that goes to the power of chuck russell yeah and just what he brings to the film in terms of his directing style and the cool thing about it is is even though it's set
1: in the 80s And it was a 50s story, and it still kind of felt 50s. Well, they
0: they still keep it in a small town. Yes. And that's the strength of it. And I like that. Yeah, and you. you think, who knows? Maybe the tall man goes through there after the blob goes through. It's a small enough town, right? To, imagine he just like shrinking down the blob to its little dwarf things. Ooh, ew! Well, that that crazy pre- Stephen Root preacher, right? Right. Which is one of my favorite endings, actually, just in terms of where so you could have good. gone from.
1: Right, like it was really like they've been talking about making a remake or a sequel. And all that Continue the story. What happens with the preacher and his the little, little blob? Baby blob. Baby thing. blob? Yeah. I love it. I thought the ending was so dark and ominous and just a good because everything like, hey, good triumphs over evil, and it's the fifties again, in a way in via eighties, but at the same time it was like just that end shot when he's just the crazy and he's preacher. Still
0: so dis- scarred up mm-hmm. from his experience with the blob. Yeah. And again, this is another one kind of against authority that the blob itself is a man made thing. Yes. We are the ones that brought it upon us. And so ultimately when you find out the government and the government's willing to wipe out a town with, with, to contain it. Yeah, by giving them the a board. Yeah, and so you see a lot of distrust of the government mm-hmm. in a lot of your genre films. This one, definitely no different. So from the blob, we go to a little party action. Did you get your invitation? I did. Excellent. I, even though
1: Jason and Freddy were too scared to show up. <laughs>
0: Night of the Demons. If you've listened to this podcast, you know how much of a fan we are of this particular this film there I, and this is another one that actually spawned a little mini franchise. There's yeah. 3 of Night of the Demons and a remake and a remake as well. But let's go back to this original 1988. I I love this film. Yeah. It's this is one of my, food. This one really
1: is. This was our, one of our first uh, Nerd-o-weens. It was. And one of the first like things we talked we, about,
0: uh, to, uh, budding friendship. When uh, our sister podcast, Nerds of Nostalgia, before it was Nerds of Nostalgia, it was called the Dedrick Movie Night Podcast. And I believe, if memory serves correctly, the very first time I had you on as a guest host, we talked to Linnea Quigley, correct? Uh-huh. And yeah. we talked about this particular film.
1: Yep, we talked about this. We talked about and it's all We're the different ways to die. Like getting off. spooky. Yeah.
0: This is one of those connective tissues for us. This is like a basis of a friendship. <laughs> this was our stepbrothers moment. It's like, <laughs> do you like the
1: Lane Quigley? Yeah. Yep. Do, you, do we just become best friends?
0: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but this is one of those. This is definitely a cult film. Mm-hmm. Because it, if you could, even looking at the films on here, I'd say it might be the most cult film we have yeah. on this bracket and on this list. Because all of these came out pretty big maybe not Phantasm 2 but... that actually got a pretty big oh, summer it did, release because it was the yeah. sequel yeah. Yeah. So, yeah now this is the one I think that flies below the radar mm-hmm. but it's a shame because this one has this one has this one actually for, to me has some camp value to it yeah oh, just absolutely. with the characters uh, the gore factor isn't crazy and then the creature design mm-hmm. uh, from Tony Gardner and the blob we get Steve Johnson here with Night of the Demons and it was basically Steve Johnson's first big gig Yeah. but he didn't have quite the money and I do think if you look at in terms of the special effects between the Blob and the Night of the Demons, one is definitely better than the other. Right. But you had more money involved in the other one. Yeah. The other one was a major Hollywood film. This one was more of an indie darling. Mm-hmm. And so the cast itself. Linnea Quigley, of yeah. course. Of course. Lovely Linnea yeah, in this absolutely. film. She
1: gets top billing in anything she's remotely in. She, well, she she understands the film she's in. Yeah. And
0: I always think her characters, they add the camp value to it, but they make it watchable. Yeah. They make it fun. <laughs> Parnish. <laughs> uh, also, this also has uh, Stooge is one of my all-time favorite uh, just eating a big bowl of fuck. Yeah. It's I've co- I've done gone as a costume played as him at some of the conventions cuz it's a pretty easy one to throw out there. Um but also the meanness of this film as well. Yeah. When they torture Roger? Oh, poor Roger. They what? torture the Roger's you
1: though. <laughs> I was I was watching it. I'm a Stooge.
0: You yeah, cuz I'm like, okay, cool. I know anytime the girl like when Angela's getting freaky, he's like, "All right, let's get this right. going,
1: right?" So I'm stooge, but you're Roger, you're like, "Fuck
0: this. I'm out of here." The f- First minute of any gnarly <laughs> shit going down. I am out that door. I am trying to get out. I, and I like the fact that he's represented in this film. That, yeah. that you any the fact that he is a. He's African-American. And he, actually, and he survives to the end. And he survives the day. Night of the Demons defies convention. Right? And also, weirdly enough, in terms of what bookends this film. A weird Halloween story. And this is also a film that is a definitely a, a Halloween, Halloween movie. Yes. yes. Uh, but it's so weird because if you think about the urban legends, yeah. razor blades and Apples, which... I still I can't talk about that without just like getting like, uh, just feeling weird on that but the comeuppance of the old man at the end. Yeah. And oh. who does it? And who did it? Who did to the old man was the even old, was even greater. His wife there? Yeah, it was like
1: ah oh, yes. I
0: had some of those old apples
1: that mm-hmm. were oh, it's so gnarly. But no matter how many good things we say about Night of the Demons, the one thing that sticks out to me in my mind is lipstick.
0: <laughs> so Go back uh we recently this is obviously we're, this isn't going to be released until March but to kind of give you a peek behind the curtains here we recently talked with Heather Wixon of mm-hmm. the Corpse Club and dailydead.com of her book The Monster Squad celebrating uh the people behind your favorite creature creations we talked about we talked about some of our favorite gags and mm-hmm. one of mine was the lipstick scene from Night of the Demons <laughs> and it's one of those formative movie going moments where you question reality yeah you question anatomy.
1: Yeah, you question what you know and whatever your whole life choices and decisions. I was probably
0: just starting sex at around that time. So thank God I never asked. It's like, could you do that with a boob? Does that happen? Or- I thought
1: it did. I thought it did. I was like, oh, well, shit, that makes sense to me. I mean, I never thought about that. And. It yeah. I'm sorry. It's truly
0: the magic of special effects. Thank you,
1: Steve Johnson. Stephanie, you're out there. I'm sorry. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that's what it didn't do. So
0: we could definitely take this uh, creeps and nostalgia here, but we won't do that. Uh, no, it's definitely it's Steve Johnson again. And actually, he and Linnea were married for a little while after the film. Uh Yeah. So I guess you know when you spend a while. Formulating someone's boob. Maybe it is. Maybe develop (laughs) develop a bit of a bond there. But I also want to shout out to Angela's final form as a demon.
1: And you know what else was cool as shit? The demon itself.
0: The one that's the dragon demon. I thought that was cool as shit. I was like, I want that mask. And I I think it adds almost to the element of the camp factor because Mm -hmm. he looks a little not cheesy per se, but
1: you can tell he's a puppet. Yeah, and I I can totally tell he's a puppet. But he looks great like a big
0: evil puppet. It's dope. Well, you know what's not campy and what is completely scary is angela as a demon when she comes out simmering burned yeah half-formed floating oh the floating Flo- when she's floating. going down the, the hallway scene yeah where are you going The party just just started.
1: Like, leave me alone,
0: Dr. Claw, you know? So frightening, and also an element... I'll get you next time, Stooge. Next time. (laughs) We're only missing a cat there, unfortunately. Owen. (laughs) But um, a hidden uh, component of this film, and we devoted an entire episode, is the score of the film, Mm -hmm. is another one that I think is... ...wildly underrated. The main theme is so goddamn good, and the intro to that entire movie the cartoons yeah that sets the tone of the film Mm -hmm. if you're not hyped by the time the music and that cool animated sequence goes it's cool the movie's not for you no worries yeah move along but for me it only cements it like you said this is one of those comfort food films so let's go ahead let's go to the board let's show our work of the two, Blob or Night of the Demons, genius, which one is Closer to the Heart? Um,
1: for not only just because it's an awesome movie, but because it started our budding friendship, I'm gonna have to go close to the heart for Night of the Demons. I
0: I didn't really take in the friendship account to this particular one, but you're right. You yeah. know, this is one of those films that truly was our gateway into becoming buddies. So let's take the heart
1: aspect out of it and let's just focus on the two categories of head and impact do you think that would oh no no that's
0: okay because i'll say i'll say demons goes for closer to the heart for me yeah but in terms of gooey and gory yeah it's gonna go i gotta go the blob as well and special effects wise the
1: special effects the meanness the story on paper the blob should be a better movie than night of the demons but because it's so close to both of us it's, that's why it's, it's hard you know and so
0: technically then we've got a two two tie yeah. so this is where
1: we will go to our
0: tiebreaker yeah. uh so which in terms of what contributed more to the genre
1: see this one they, they okay this one is hard too because the blob is one of those ones that on anybody's list of best remakes of all time they need to be the blob needs it really has it has to but it didn't spawn a secret franchise yet.
0: No, it didn't. However,
1: because um, Night of the Demons went two and three and a remake. But...
0: but are, they're not that good. I, was, I want to give a, sh- a special shout out to part two. It was uh, directed by Brian Trenchard Smith of Stunt Rock fame. Nice. Which in and of itself is kind of bizarre. That gives it some points. But to me, in terms of it's Tony Gardner's work and The Blob is what separates it from almost all the other films in this bracket and mm-hmm. to me because of his work in that because it truly makes you go how do they do that I've, I've I, in terms of cultural importance to the genre I'm going to go with The Blob hmm. okay well so where does that put us at the
1: scorecard which one was yours um for cultural aspect I think I'm going to have to go Night of the Demons because it did spawn so many franchises
0: goodness so that's we're at a tie break for that one so you know what we're gonna do <laughs> to the listeners we will in fact interestingly enough then because this particular episode isn't gonna go out until march right we're gonna post this on social media and obviously again a little inside so this will probably be going out sometime in January so Mm -hmm. if you ever saw a post or a poll or anything in the social media saying, hey night of the demons and the blob what was your favorite we're gonna leave it to you on that one now yeah so that'll be interesting enough on that one and so once we get the final tally then uh so let's look here in terms of uh the movies that are going to the Scream 16 yeah we have Halloween 4 which just threw off almost all your entire entire bracket. bracket And it's going to be going up against Hellraiser, too. So we still have a battle of sequels. Mm -hmm. And then we'll have... H versus H. Right? Yeah. Uh, We're going to have, then, They Live against the winner of either The Blob or Night of the Demons. Mm -hmm. And, again, we're going to go to the social media for that. But that means, then, uh, our next episode, then, we're going to be talking with, uh, from the Phantom Podcast Network, the Mm -hmm. From My Parents Basement Podcast, which, if you like us... You will love them. They have the very same chemistry, just some dorky guys together (laughs) talking about horror. Uh, Also features a ghoulish Gary Pullen, who we've had on the podcast before. Nice. Yeah. And then after that, in the round of The Hateful Eight, we're going to be talking to Justin from the Horror Business Podcast. The idea of this entire tournament not only is to talk and celebrate films celebrating 40, 30, 20, and 10 years. Yeah. But also talking with some great podcasts that are out there, you know, to spread the word. So uh, we will go to the social media on this one. But uh, I guess until next time, guys.
1: Guys, do yourself a favor and rewatch all, all these, of them. All these movies in the bracket. This was there such, are no
0: losers. This was
1: such a fun bracket
0: to rewatch. Yeah. So it's going to be good. So until next time, guys. Uh, this is Greg D. And I'm Genius McGee, and we will see you in your dreams.